This is Riz Hatton with the Becker's Dental with DSO Podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Kaz Rafia, Chief Health Equity Officer at CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. Kaz, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Riz. I really appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. Uh, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Kaz Rafia, as you said. I am the Chief Health Equity Officer, the first one for CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. Uh, we're the leading national nonprofit seeking to eliminate oral health disparities through advancing access and medical dental integration towards the end goal of achieving health equity. Uh, in this role, I've, I have the privilege of leading the grant-making division in, their, in the, our, my wonderful team and managing the largest philanthropic portfolio in the U.S. dedicated solely to advancing oral health, uh, as well as our value-based care programmatic initiatives, uh, in our in our operability collaboratives and and our other health transformation efforts. Uh, previously, I was the state dental director for Oregon, where I dedicated my focus to expansion of dental benefits for intellectually and developmentally delayed Medicaid recipients, oral health workforce, and telehealth. Uh, I also have combined 25 years of clinical practice in group and pri pri private practice settings, as well as various faculty positions in postdoctoral dentistry. I just got to do a plug-in for my alma. I'm a proud alumni of The Ohio State University, Johns Hopkins, and University of Illinois, but go Bucks! Thank you so much, Kaz. Sounds like you have a lot of great experience there. Let's dive into our first question here, which is, what are the biggest issues you're following in dental headed into the new year? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe that we're already past our first month. Into, the, into 2023. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, for the dental practitioner whose day-to-day -day life is spent managing a business while delivering the best in clinical care, the running theme all uh, will all in all likelihood this year will continue to be staffing and the workforce recruitment and retention. Um, I just had the privilege of speaking with a longtime friend and a colleague who's a dental director at an FQHC in Southern Oregon, and I asked her, what's on her radar and uh, kid you not without hesitation she mentioned staffing uh now she had an admirably resilient attitude about the whole thing uh, but i know from my own personal experience that this is a major stressor for clinicians both in private um, and consolidated settings i'm really hopeful that with some of the innovative efforts around training and educational requirements uh licensure scope of work uh, recruitment and retention of culturally responsive workforce will generate the momentum that we need as we think about the future of a resilient healthcare workforce. Now, at a higher elevation and intersection of philanthropy and policy, sort of where I live, I think that conversation around disparities and inequities in healthcare have risen to that critical mass wherein, and I'm optimistic about this, will begin to see meaningful advocacy, engagement, and investment. Uh, I don't really think that any of us, especially in the past few years, feel that we live in an insular world where injustice doesn't touch or really impact us individually. And we're only a few weeks from Martin Luther King's birthday, just, just a couple of weeks ago, who said, of all forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Uh, and take, for example, our own research that shows Black adults are 68% more likely to have unmet dental needs than white adults, uh, or CDC's research that tells us that 40% of Mexican-American children aged 6 to 8 years 
have untreated decay compared to 25% of non-Hispanic white children. Uh, so with those disparities out there, I'm still energized that this awareness of the impact of disparities that has recently come into sharp focus will add to our collective conviction that we can and must do better for our neighbors, our community, and really humanity. So that's great. Thank you for that. Kind of going back to your to your point about staffing, are there certain positions that you've seen um, within the industry that are being harder to recruit and retain? Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, it, I would say, uh, depending on where you are on the spectrum, it's hard to recruit, quote unquote. Uh, dental assistants are are incredibly difficult to recruit and retain. Uh, workforce shortage is a serious problem. When I was a state dental director in Oregon, I convened a learning co collaborative where we would match and and hopefully marry, if you will, academic institutions that were training some of the best minds and best hands, if you will, skill hands when it comes to dental assisting with uh, our dental care organizations, private practice uh, offices, and, and larger uh, practices out there. Um, but dental assistants are very, very hard to come by. Uh, dental hygiene is difficult. The, the, the number of uh, oral healthcare workforce clinicians that dropped out as a, a completely not quite quitting as is the, is the parlance these days, but straight up walked out of the office because of pandemic is, is really huge. And I'm not a lot of them. There wasn't a lot of comeback, if you will, to the workforce. Uh, and so that, that creates uh, significant economic pressure uh, on the private practitioner that's out there and, and with co competition with, uh, between a private practitioner and a DSO who is better resourced it becomes this uh, finite resource game that uh, just does not end up well. Thank you so much for, for your insights on that. My next question for you is, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? Thank you, that's a great question. Um, uh, well, I would say that firstly, I'm excited about the next group, uh, this emerging class of dedicated, passionate dental leaders that are innovating, leading and advocating, I think, uh, this generation of graduates from dental school are in tuned uh, into their environment and have a deep awareness of how upstream system issues really impact and lead to local level social constraints and inequities. I think every time I've had the privilege of speaking to dental students and uh, my former GPR residents, uh, I've always come back knowing that the future of the profession is really in the right hand. Secondly, I think perhaps the thinnest silver lining in the clouds of everything that have really surrounded us and we've gone through these past couple of years is that I'm really optimistic and hopeful about the, uh, the fact that we can continue to view dentists, uh, oral health professionals, and dentistry as a critical frontline force to safeguarding our health. And I mean that literally and figuratively. And really, if our clinical skill sets are perfectly suited for response to a global catastrophe, i.e. our abilities to administer vaccines and other types of pandemic response that we as a community have engaged, then we've got to create pathways, be it legal, reimbursement, licensure, et cetera, to really seize on this positive momentum that's been generated. And there's a small but poignant example of how critical oral health is in relation to this very idea of significance of oral health. I just want to point out to the mounting, mounting body of evidence that daily oral health care 
can prevent non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia for COVID and non-COVID patients alike. This was this was a study that had been done, and and while uh, a lot of folks were ending up on ventilators in hospitals with COVID, this was almost like a moment of epiphany. I'm really excited because I see how right now might be the inflection point beyond which we have dentistry that's more integrated into physical and behavioral health and really recognized as a primary implement to leverage in everything from A1C testing for diabetes patients to saliva sampling and predictive analytics and early detection of chronic health conditions. Lastly, you know, there was going to be three things I was going to be excited about, right? I'm excited about the explosion of innovation and tech. Clinical decision support tools and AI is real, are really the next frontier of dentistry. I think the possibilities are almost endless. I'm really excited to see the rapid development in this space because I feel we've only begun on this journey. I just hope that we all collectively demand that type of technology and innovation that works for everyone. And it really moves the needle on population health and is really an instrument in healing with capital H, the big healing. Uh, and as far as being nervous, uh, I think what makes me nervous is that in this space of optimism where we have rapidly evolving and exciting technology and socially conscious and compassionate future leaders stepping out to lead, innovate, and advocate for health equity, we continue to have these dark clouds of academic loans. Now, how these astronomical numbers are sustainable is really beyond me. Uh, but it makes me wonder about who will be able to get enter into dental school and stay there, what decisions will be forced onto our clinicians in the future because of economic pressure, and how we're expected to somehow have quality of care and cost of delivery somehow balanced so that we can achieve health equity. So, so that's what keeps me up at night and gives me hope. Those are all very interesting points. My next question for you is, what will the most effective healthcare leaders need to be successful in the next two to three years? Thank you. I think the next two to three years are, are super exciting to, to, to sit back and watch, but they're even more exciting to be involved in and get in, get in the game. I think the rapid pace of vertical and horizontal integration, as well as uh, the dental practices uh, and, and how it's really that integration in that space is going to be really interesting to see. And depending on your unique point of view, it could have upside and downsides to it, right? But the reality is that practice modality of dentistry is trending towards clustering, and that could present us with opportunities. Really, everything from how we define quality, innovations in tech and AI, as I spoke earlier, and opportunities to really quasi or fully integrate dentistry into physical or behavioral health delivery settings, investment into in meaningful, really that's the critical piece, like meaningful information exchange and interoperability. Uh, it, it could impact overall cost structure of dentistry. And really from there for dentistry to go even beyond its traditional and historic boundaries and reaches into things like community information exchange and health related services and community care planning and initiatives, sort of the stuff that Unitas does. So Unitas is just a just wonderful group of folks. And this all against the backdrop of dynamics that really surround healthcare workforce and in general and dentistry in particular, which I spoke about earlier. And that would be short term in that two to three range. Longer term, I think successful and effective leaders in oral health and dentistry would be the ones who really account for the needs of our changing demographics. And those who really deeply think about 
and creating and advocating pathways and enhance access for our patients. And what I'm talking about is a democratic, demographic change that's underway. America is aging. Uh, our 65 and older uh, population is projected to nearly double in the coming decades. And so that's 95 million individuals who are 65 plus and over by 2060, compared to almost 50 million that we have right now. And so what that means is that extrapolated for our nearly flat population growth, right, because our organic population is not expected to grow, we will have nearly one out of every four, 25% of Americans, think about that, eligible for Medicare, Medicare, and that's a critical piece, by 2060, because that's age, right? Now, within that cohort, what's really going to blow our minds is that the number of people who are 85 and older is expected nearly double by 2035, that's not that far away, and then triple by 2060. The question everybody asks is, why are you throwing all these numbers at me? Why does it matter? Was the population balloons, we will all have to consider how unavailability of dental benefits to this segment of population, and this would be ourselves, our own parents, and our grandparents, wherein currently 47% are without any coverage, could result in a widening gap in disparities and burden of oral disease. At the current trend, that means that by 2060, we're going to have 45 million Americans without dental benefits who are putting care off. And this very delayed and unmet dental care that I just spoke about, there's mounting evidence that is demonstrated has been implicated in numerous physical and behavioral issues. We know that oral health is connected to overall health and has cost the system billions of dollars in the form of uh, overutilization of emergency departments, substance use disorder, and leads to more intensive, invasive, and costlier care. And while that may not be, that could be a can that we all want to collectively kick down the road, it's not our problem right now, the re reality of it is, if that CMS tells us the average income for Medicare recipient is only 24000 bucks, and Kaiser Family Foundation tells us that out-of-pocket cost, on average, for these Medicare recipients is $1,000, then you have to do the simple finger math and figure out that 4% of Medicare recipients' fixed income. Now, mind you, these people are on fixed income was spent on dentistry. That's something that for many, especially the Black and Hispanic communities and peoples and the socioeconomically disadvantaged and the marginal communities, that's just not an option. And so we're back where we began. And since many of these individual dentistry and oral health means costly costlier visits and what that, what that means and the overall cost of the system, just the hospital system alone, these non-traumatic dental visits to EDs, cost this hospital system alone $2 billion. You, you really have to do the math and really figure out where it is that, that our priorities should, be, should lie. Well, thank you so much for those insights. Those were all super interesting and you know, really great to know. Kaz, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Thank you.